I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. This podcast is brought to you by Tiger Stripe Supplements, a world-class supplement company whose main goal is to foster a healthier life and help you achieve your best self. All of their supplements are made in the USA in FDA-approved facilities, good manufacturer practices, and third-party tested to ensure the very highest quality. Use codename LOVER-15 to get 15% off your next order at tigerstripelabs.com. That's L-O-V-E-R-1-5 to get 15% off. This podcast is brought to you by Plenty. Some of you might know this, but the catechins in green tea have been proven to boost your metabolism, increase fat burning, and boost concentration. In fact, samurais were known to drink matcha tea before going into battle. When it comes to matcha, where it's cultivated is crucial. Tea masters in Japan have perfected the harvest generations, and Plenty has partnered up to bring you the very best matcha straight to your door. Use the code DIGISCO20, that's D-I-G-I-S-C-O-20, at checkout to get 20% off your next order at plenty.org. That's P-L-E-N-T-E-A dot org. Plenty. Welcome back to Love and the Fighter. I'm your host, Charles DeGisco, and it is great to be back here with all of you. Wow, what a weekend of MMA. Let's get right into it. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, obviously Conor McGregor lost by second round. They ruled it a TKO, but I actually believe it should be changed back to a KO because uh, we'll just go over the difference here real quick. A TKO, which is when the ref stops it, that's when you can defend yourself, but you just aren't, right? Meaning you're not really, you're just kind of blocking and just taking shots and uh, the ref stops it. Whereas a KO is when you just cannot or are not able to defend yourself, meaning you're knocked unconscious and you're not blocking or anything. So a little difference there. And it looked like the fight was stopped, but Connor was out cold, um, especially when he, he got dropped. Then that second cross that cracked him, put him on his back. And at that point he was his, you know, the lights were shut off and then he got one more for good measure. And, and that was pretty much all she wrote. So I think we might see a change there, but let's get right into it. First off, I want to give praise to Dustin Poirier, who I felt did such a good job of everything I said he'd have to do to win. And I say that full well knowing that I did not think he was going to win. I thought this was a terrible matchup for him. I told everybody to not bet on him. I said, this, don't touch it because the only way he could win is if he gets a takedown early, which I said he would not be able to do. I was wrong about that. Is if he puts him up against the cage and roughs him up and makes it kind of an ugly fight and then uh, puts Connor against the cage and, and keeps him there, right? So he's, he fights against the cage and then keeps Connor's back against the cage. And all of these things he did, I said he wouldn't be able to do. Right. And I thought he needed to do all of them to win. So this is why I don't give predictions anymore. <laughs> and I really am careful with uh, the, the bets that I suggest, especially for marquee fights uh, and marquee main event fights. So Dustin Poirier definitely used the leg kicks well, but I actually thought that Connor checked a few of them. Um, the, the broadcast seemed to say that he just ate, ate every single one of them, which he ate way too many. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But I actually thought he, at first, he was checking them okay, but it definitely seemed like he was not prepared for them because all of his footwork and all of his positioning seemed to be more prepared for a 
like a boxing contest, right? And what I mean by that is it's it was he wasn't bladed like you would be in boxing, but he wasn't really countering off the kicks. He was kind of just like reacting to the action that occurred and not providing an action of his own. So when he did get kicked and quite a few landed hard, that really it, it didn't really take much more than that to really throw him off his game. And at that point, when you're getting leg kicked, like you just got to put a lot of pressure on people. You got to get in their face. You got to really walk them down. And that's just something that really, you don't want to do that to Dustin Poirier to begin with, but he wasn't able to do it anyway. And for a good example of that, if you look at Junior Dos Santos versus Steve Miocic too, Junior really became adept at throwing very hard leg kicks that would open up his striking. And, and he really, I felt was uh, quite talented at those leg kicks. And he caught Stipe with a few of them and, and Stipe really had to address them because he it's hard to check those calf kicks to begin with because of the angle that they come on, right? Like, so if this is your shin, the, the kick kind of lands like right here. So you have to go out and over. So it's a shin to shin contact instead of that position where where the, uh, the shin is meeting your like that bone that we actually kind of went over it. There's like that little nerve if you really kind of dig your fingers in between your calf and uh, your calf muscle and your shin bone. Uh, right, like just to the left, that that shin bone. Anyway, to make long story short, Junior was was cracking him with these leg kicks. So Stipe just pushed forward, got in his face, and basically anytime Junior Dos Santos would go to throw a leg kick, he would counter with punches. Same thing for Justin Gaethje when he fought Edson Barboza. So there's ways to go about it, but you basically have to become a pressure fighter and you have to keep that person fighting on their back foot. It's really hard to throw kicks when you're backing up. Less so punches, but obviously also difficult. But when you're throwing kicks as you back up, I think you're going to have a more difficult time generating the power you need. And also, as that other person comes forward, they're going to be able to get into counter counter distance, right? Sure. Sure. You might land that that leg kick, but now I can hit you with the right hand. Um, so with, with Connor, he was kind of standing in front of Dustin and looking to land those hard shots at range. And Dustin would just kind of slip and, and land a leg kick and and Connor just couldn't really address it. Another, and I'm jumping around here in the fight itself because there were so many different actions that occurred that really, I think, set the tone. But at first, Dustin got that takedown. Nobody looked more surprised than Dustin Poirier that he actually got the takedown because Connor McGregor really does have underrated takedown defense. But a lot of that has to do with positioning. He had Dustin Poirier had a really easy time getting that takedown because Connor just looked like he wasn't prepared to deal with it. Now, of course, he did a good job standing up and the takedown didn't really do too much, but it was something that Connor had to address and it took effort and energy and, you know, a different type of motor, so to speak, than that boxing motor that he's clearly been training and training quite well. I thought his boxing stance looked good. I thought his hands looked good, but in MMA, like you, you just have to do more and you have to be you have to be ready to adapt to everything. And Dustin Poirier brought a whole different game plan where he utilized that wrestling. He kept Connor up against the cage and kind of made it this dirty boxing, you know, shoulder shot situation that wore Connor down, I think, more than Dustin did. Now, when they first broke for a split second, really, I should say for the rest of the first round, Connor kind of got in his groove and he was landing some really good punches. At one point, he landed a, I want to say it was a, a hard, hard jab, kind of moved around, landed a really stiff, uh, shovel uppercut and then finish it off with a cross there, a backhand cross right at the end. And I felt like that was the the turning point. Like, wow, okay, Dustin, you know, the first couple minutes, he got a takedown. He had him up against the cage. They were trading a little bit. Dustin was finding some success with this check hook. Obviously, we talked about the light kicks. There was a couple things Dustin was doing right, but I felt like Connor was really starting to run away with it and he was getting in his groove and he was becoming smooth and he was walking him down. And it was just impressive, I thought. 
But anytime he stood in front of Connor, punches were coming right at his head. And, and, and Dustin just did such a good job of kind of sitting in the pocket and countering in the pocket, which is not something you see too frequently in MMA because of the high risk nature of that. So, so really, you know, you could tell it was something that Dustin had worked. The other thing I thought that was interesting was when Connor started to put it on him, Dustin didn't really fold, right? Like I said, he was still throwing that check hook, which was, which was very impressive. He wasn't really finding success with his jab, but he was able to kind of slip some of those punches from Connor, which is not easy to do and land those hard leg kicks, which again, opened up that, that situation, which we saw. And I'm, I'm going to walk through that sequence where Connor was basically forced to kind of retreat. And, uh, and it was in that second round where I thought Connor was really going to come out and put it on him. And at first it seemed that way, but there was just that transition of that slip check hook, low kick that landed with Connor, uh, landed on Connor, I should say. And it just seemed like it kind of broke him. It was literally at that point where they switched positioning. Dustin threw that as he was turning. Connor accepted the turn. And now Connor's back was against the cage. And Dustin was right in front of him. And Dustin just smelt blood. And his killer instinct is so good. He just walked down Connor. He got in his face. And he started putting those combinations together. And Dustin Poirier is the type of guy where he will continue throwing punches until you hit him hard enough to back him up. And that's why we saw some guys like Justin Gaethje or even Dan Hooker have success, uh, Eddie Alvarez as well, because they have similar styles. So when they were in the pocket throwing those hard shots that it was something Poirier had to address. But my goodness, man, I mean, the the violence and speed that he put together, momentum, shout out Dr. Disrespect, all of these things that he was doing that was putting Connor in a position where he tried to slip and throw back a couple punches, but the volume just overwhelmed Connor. And the accuracy too. I mean, he was hitting Connor with hard shots to the point where it kind of just, it felt like Connor was waiting for Dustin Poirier to leave him alone. And I think that is probably the most indicative part of Connor just not quite being there. And, and we're going to talk about that story in a second, but I'm breaking all these things down because Dustin Poirier, I feel beat Connor at some of his physically best, or his, the best physically not the easiest way to word, but I felt like Connor, uh, Dustin beat Connor that was prepared. He beat one that was in, in a phenomenal physical shape. And I felt like he beat a Connor at Connor's game. He outstruck him. Connor McGregor's never lost a striking match. I should say really in, in, in the early rounds in any striking bout, even if you want to include Floyd Mayweather in that, right. And say what you will about the way Floyd took that fight and handled that fight. That's I'm not there to debate that, but it, at, at its core, the scorecards, like so he had a lot of success in these early rounds and against every fighter. And when, when Khabib stood up with him, you know, he beat Khabib on the feet. Obviously he lost that fight. And, you know, Nate Diaz, sure. Nate Diaz dropped him and, and eventually let, got the choke or I shouldn't say he dropped him. He cracked him and forced Connor to shoot a takedown, which led to the choke, but Connor was beating him on the feet too. So why wouldn't he be able to beat Dustin Poirier again? Because this is their rematch. Like you think about all these different things and, and it makes sense that Connor would have been the, the heavy favor. And it makes sense that Connor would have had every advantage going into this fight. But there's just so many variables in MMA that you cannot account for. And I think we saw all of them with Dustin Poirier, as well as some that you can, right? Like what's going on in Connor's training camp where he's only focused on boxing? He's He's fought some of the best grapplers he fought the best grappler ever in mma right the best lightweight of all time he's fought wrestlers he's fought guys who are multi-dimensional and he's beaten them so what happened here 
off this long layoff? Why couldn't he get that done? And moving to that point now, I think Connor probably has all the physical attributes to still be very successful, but it does seem like there is a mental, I don't want to say lapse, but lack of maybe interest in, in continuing to do this. You hear it so often, fighting is a brutal way to make a living. So when you make enough money to either A, retire, which actually Connor did, or B, you make enough money where you can then branch off into other businesses and industries and make even more money there, why fight? Why fight? I mean, is look, guys, I run a fight gym. I love sparring. I love training. It's tremendous. The idea of cutting weight right now, not a sacrifice I want to make. Not a sacrifice I want to make, right? Like, there's just so many things that go into this fight game that, like, you don't have to do if you want to be tough. You don't have to do if you want to become a talented martial artist, right? But you fucking have to do them if you want to fight. And you have to do them if you want to fight at the highest level. So, there's there's a balance, right? And when you start making millions of dollars in other ways, you don't have to put yourself through that same level of trauma or suck, right? Like you don't have to do that to yourself. So then to force yourself to do it, you're always going to be looking for a way out. You're always going to be thinking like, oh man, like maybe one less round or I'm tired. I don't need to do this because you don't, you don't need to, right? Like you have rent paid for more than that, right? I mean, we're, we're showing up in a yacht. So I'm not saying it, you know, it's hard to get out of the morning, get out of bed in the morning when you got silk sheets, but Connor took a lot of time off from his physical prime, right? From 28 to 32, he was very inactive. I think it's only three times he fought, right? Uh, if you count, I want to say maybe he fought Eddie Alvarez at 28. So Eddie Alvarez, <clears throat> Floyd Mayweather, Khabib, Cowboy, you know, and now Poirier. Five times, if you count boxing, with multi-year layoffs in the middle from 28 to 32 over four years. I just, it's just not enough. It's not enough in this sport, you know, to, to do that. And I, I think, I, by the way, I, quick, I think Eddie Alvarez was actually in 2016. So the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's just one of those situations where you have a guy who made it, did everything he said he was going to do. And then kind of stuck stuck around when it didn't really seem like he was able to do so. Mentally, it just seemed like he kind of checked out a little bit. And we then saw that as a repercussion of his performance, right? You just, you take these long breaks and, you, you know, you come up with these excuses that he came up with for Khabib. And, you know, there was some intrigue building, like maybe he could do it, but this was a test. And, and you know, I'd mentioned like, this is a real test for him mentally. And I think if... He didn't get those calf kicks, right? He might have mentally been a little bit more in it. But when things start start stop going your way and you're forced to acknowledge that, all right, now I'm taking pain, I'm taking punishment, I'm getting beat up, and I have to really dig deep to turn this around here, not a lot of guys can do that. And I think that Dustin Poirier is one of those guys who can do that. And I think he kind of exposed that Conor McGregor is not. And will Conor McGregor come back and find a way to win and, and persevere? Maybe, because we've seen him readapt readjust the way he does things to become the very best he can be uh to to take situations that might not be favorable to him like fighting nate diaz at 170 pounds and winning the second fight right but by and large if i'm connor that's probably it that's probably it you know you're you to get beat like that 
in your realm. Like, sure, we acknowledge he wasn't ready for those calf kicks, but he got beat up striking. You know, it wasn't like he got he got submitted, he got ground and pounded, he got tired out with just a relentless takedown grinding style, like a Michael Chiesa, which we'll we'll talk about him as well today. It just seemed like he just wasn't really there. And to fight against a guy like Dustin Poirier when you're not 150% there, he's he's hungrier than you, and he's got that dog in him that's going to allow him to persevere and overcome certain challenges that will, if you don't have to go through them, why would you, you know? Why would you? So that's a little bit more my opinion on it, but overall, I, I hope you enjoy the analysis because I could not be more impressed with Dustin Poirier's just epic performance, finding a way to put Conor McGregor down the way he did. And and seeing Conor get knocked out was really like, wow, you know, it's like when you see a Titan just fall, there's something about that. You never really thought he would lose that way. Whereas when he lost to Khabib or he lost to Nate Diaz, you were like, yeah, you know, I, that makes sense, right? Nate Diaz is a very high-level jiu-jitsu player. Khabib Nurmagomedov, arguably the best grappler in MMA, but certainly the best lightweight to ever compete. Makes sense. But to get knocked out by Dustin Poirier in a non-title fight in the second round... Maybe that's all she wrote for Conor McGregor. He says he's going to come back. They talked lightly about a trilogy fight. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Dustin Poirier next. You know, Poirier made a lot of money on this fight. I think he made a million up front plus pay-per-view points. So I think he's going to be in a very different situation than he was prior to. However, I think his pursuit of that gold is still going to supersede his comfort. So I, I do think we'll still see the very best of Dustin Poirier to come. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know after that. Maybe he retires. He's been fighting for a long time. He's been fighting for a real long time. Crazy. As I talk about it, guys, I really just think it's... it's. Sorry there. I, as I talk about it, I just... I really think it's just something else. Okay, let's jump ahead. <clears throat> let's talk about Michael Chandler for a second. He fought Dan Hooker, knocked him out in the first round, and really iced him. Now, it was, I shouldn't say, it TKO'd him. So, I don't know what it was. I thought that Hooker was going to be a bad matchup for him, but pretty quickly, he had a lot of respect for Michael Chandler. And it didn't really seem like he was able to throw things the way he wanted to throw them. He was obviously backing up the whole time, so he didn't get to land those those head kicks the way he, uh, excuse me, those leg kicks the way he normally does. And we've seen Michael Chandler be exposed to some leg kicks before in the past, like when he fought Brent Primus, and it was a calf kick that caused him to get that dead leg situation, which we've talked about in the past. You know, I didn't think Dan Hooker brought his best. I think typically he does really well with guys like Michael Chandler's style, and Michael Chandler's also not wrestling this is the second fight in a row he's beaten he last fight was benson anderson where he's beaten guys who are traditionally really talented strikers and he's just smoking them on the feet so as he puts all those skills together and as he becomes the very best fighter he can be in all of these different assets because he was a d1 all-american uh, wrestler you know maybe he's the guy to potentially bring Khabib out of retirement i don't think so but there's not a whole lot to break down with the dan hooker fight other than that Michael Chandler kept going to the body with that that right hand. He kept going to the body, changing levels, putting a lot of pressure. And then once he started to get the timing of Dan Hooker's escape, right, getting into the body kind of causes you to lean forward. Then as you're working your way out and, es and escaping, that's when he threw that actually overhand lead hook. It was an overhand lead left hook that caught my uh, uh, that caught Dan Hooker right on the way out and, and just put him down. So hats off to Michael Chandler. I think him and Poirier is a somewhat intriguing matchup, even though I thought Poirier kind of shut it down a little too quickly. but. I don't know. I, I mean, 
him against Oliveira, I think would be a really interesting fight because Oliveira's won six in a row and he's looked really, really good doing it. But I think that Michael Chandler would present some interesting challenges for him. There's also Justin Gaethje, who's another one. There's also Tony Ferguson. Now, obviously, some of these guys are coming off losses and stuff, but the lightweight division from Poirier all the way down to Paul Felder, you got a lot of room to make a lot of great matchups, truly. And you got Nate Diaz there who's who's waiting in the wings, and that was actually a fight that uh, Dustin Poirier mentioned, which is interesting because I suspect that has more to do with the potential for pay-per-view buys, but nevertheless, you know, Poirier's good buddies with Jorge Masvidal, so maybe they could do something like Masvidal, Nick Diaz, Poirier, Nate Diaz. I think on one card would be pretty interesting. But at its core, it just... You can't go wrong, really, with any matchup you make, I think, in the lightweight division. And if Connor does decide to fight again, I think that'll be interesting. But he does have a bit of a road to get back to now if he wants to compete for the title and, and make his way back, right? Like Dana said, a Rocky three moment after losing to Apollo Creed, what's he really going to do? He's finally made it financially. He's got no reason to fight. So what are going to be his motivations to do so? Dustin Poirier, I think, is knocking on the door of a title shot. I think Khabib is not going to come back to fight Dustin Poirier. Certainly, obviously, not going to come back to fight Conor McGregor. I think unless your name is George St. Pierre, you're not going to get Khabib Nurmagomedov back in the in the fight game. I think he's I think he's going to stay retired and stay true to his mother's wish, and, and that'll be that there. So, yeah, it's just kind of it's really open right now, and there's so many different matchups to make. I mean, my personal preference would be. Uh, Connor Gaethje and Michael Chandler versus Charles Oliveira. Connor Gaethje for the uh, top contender fight after the Gaethje Chandler fight, right? So Gaethje and Chandler fight for the next shot at the title. It's going to be a vacant belt. They fight Dustin Poirier. You have Connor and Gaethje fight for the number one contender fight. I guess in this case it would be number two contender fight because it's a vacant belt. And then you also have Nate Diaz fight Tony Ferguson. Ferguson who's coming off of two losses and, and Nate Diaz who's coming off a loss to Jorge Masvidal. So I think there's a little intrigue there. Plus good jujitsu, good boxing, high pressure. I think that would be an interesting fight. And then you got Paul Felder there too, who's basically just like, sign me up for any big fight, <laughs> you know, and, and Rafael Dos Anjos, who's, who's making a run back down at 155 pounds as well. So a lot of different ways to skin a cat, a lot of different opportunities here. Um, Basically, let's just keep that division moving and keep it active. So I think we're going to see it could be vacate, but nevertheless, uh, we do have one new one new dangerous threat with a good striking background, uh, with a good wrestling background and really strong striking in uh, in Michael Chandler. Last one I want to talk about is Michael Chiesa versus Neil Magny. So I wish I had told people to bet on this because I really thought. Kiesa was going to was going to do quite well. My reason for that was when we saw Rafael Dos Anjos compete against Neil Magny, he got the takedown, got got him choked out. It was just he was very controlling and very dominant on the ground. And then when Kiesa had fought Dos Anjos, he was really able to just kind of wear him down and outgrapple him and and made the striking not nearly as uh important in that fight. So in a main event, you never know, it's easier to sit on a jab than it is to get takedowns and, and stay controlled. And Neil Magny is actually quite accomplished at grappling as well. He's not a pushover by any means. But Chiesa, from start to finish, from bell to bell, he was just putting pressure on Magny, getting the takedowns, controlling him, winning scrambles. I think every single scramble that occurred, Chiesa won. And he just never let Magny get in his rhythm. And Magny fought tough till the end. I mean, he was in it. He was trying, but he just couldn't quite 
put it all together enough for Kiesa to maybe respect him and start backing up himself. And I actually thought that Kiesa did a good job of utilizing his striking and getting that involved as well, which is one more threat you have to think about. You know, as a kickboxer, Kiesa would not be very successful, but as a guy who's such a good grappler and you have to pay so much attention to that takedown and all those different things that might happen there, there's some room for him to succeed on the feet and there's going to be openings that wouldn't be there normally because these guys are so aware of that takedown threat and the submissions that follow. I mean, I really think Kiesa is making a mark for himself and and there's some tough matchups for him. He called out Colby Covington, which I like, but I think in general, there's a couple other fights you can make with him. That would be pretty interesting. However, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how far he'll be able to go with just his grappling. Like he's got to continue to improve his striking, but He's really enjoyed being an analyst. So that's one more guy who's uh, <laughs> far up and away ahead of me. And uh, he's he's solid for sure too. You know, I think any Italian I'm going to root for. But nevertheless, I think I think he does have the skills necessary to make a run at 170. It's just kind of, can he continue to improve on his striking and, and put himself in positions for success with his grappling? But not a lot to analyze there other than that his grappling was just way too much for Neil Magny to handle. So... Let's see if Kobe Covington takes that fight. If not, I, I haven't taken a look at the 170-pound division in a while, but I do think that you can start to start to make a case for him to get into that top three situation. You know, Wonderboy coming off a win over Jeff Neal, maybe that's the fight to make. Who's And, and obviously, Wonderboy's had some, some pretty good success there against... Uh, wrestlers and and i think he's gonna he's got great takedown defense so that could be a challenge in itself um jorge masvidal that's an interesting one too where is he going what's he doing you know he hasn't been really in the game since that kamaru usman fight and um i still happen to believe he's super talented so if he wants it i think he can he can get to wherever he needs to go to, to make that happen so nevertheless really interesting time right now that was at all those events, by the way, took place at UFC Fight Island. So I think there is, uh, there's, they're going to be making their return to the States. I think they're going to be in Vegas in in February on the 13th, I, I want to say, maybe the 6th. I think we got a two-week hiatus. But for now, I think, I think we're probably going to not have too many international cards, or we're going to see something significant happen at Abu Dhabi where you get you know, three months worth of events all there, because I believe there's going to be, obviously we have the administration change and it looks like there's going to be some differences here in regards to quarantining and testing and traveling and the whole coronavirus situation as it continues to unfold. So I don't know what's going to happen for the MMA business, especially for the UFC, which is really the only MMA in business, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> uh, that's all this week, guys. I'm going to have a, I know I promised you three episodes well, really two episodes last week, but I, it was only the Kiesa fight that I really wanted to get into. And then everything that happened this week, it was it really just became all about Connor, Dustin Poirier. But Wednesday, we'll be interviewing the infamous Nancy Kidder. Very excited about that. Um, usually she's hosting so many folks. And um, I think it's cool that she now is going to be the one who's getting interviewed herself. So I got some questions I'm going to mean to ask her. And uh, you'd think they'd come up with how much time we've spent, but it, it should be a good conversation. So that's going to happen on Wednesday. That'll probably be out the following day. More to come there. But for now, guys, I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. Keep on killing it. Take care of each other. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Lover and the Fighter.